0: you're listening to the auxiliary gate podcast kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion and now
1: here are your hosts alan schneider Well, you know my mayor her name is sarah clay She is going to be dropping a little baby foal
2: <gasps> come,
1: come september it's good it's a philly it's a philly brandon jaggers my man couldn't put the stem
0: on the apple though and me, CC C. brought us. So,
3: so I'm going what? to give
0: you a lesson in in uh, reading past performances, uh, Brandon. You see that on the four starts for Rodney, right next to the name of the race, there's an S with a square around it. Yeah, yeah, yeah that S stands for sucks. But this is a New York bread. Indiana. This is a New York bread facing Kentucky breads. So he don't stand a chance. I'm sorry. welcome this is episode number 99 of the auxiliary gate podcast alan schneider we are a force in the podcasting world your thoughts as we approach podcast number 100
3: well uh syndication man that's when that's that's how you get the money right syndication like friends and the office and stuff like they they hit the five-year mark and then the millions just roll in for everybody i'm assuming that's what works for us right i believe Um uh, but, you know, 99, 99 episodes so far, It's was a 99-to-1 shot. Everybody listens to this damn thing. So, hey, <laughs> I'm happy.
0: Well, let's talk about the, the syndication thing with our marketing manager, and that would be Brandon Jaggers, who joins <laughs> us two, two episodes in a row. Brandon, we're oh, glad yeah. to have
1: you with us. Well, uh, tis the season. I'm excited. It's April here in Kentucky. Uh, we're still looking for that uh, marquee sponsor. For the hundredth episode, it's we got a lot in production with it. We've got all of my uh, horses I've misnamed or mispronounced on the pod, so that's going to roll for about six minutes. It's basically going to be a culmination of all the funny uh, cuts in and out from all of our guests, as well as your great co-host uh, from all ninety-nine episodes. Who's so editing that? I can't that? wait for the hundredth. Who's editing that? <laughs> well, that's CC, of course. Oh, CC, okay. Of course.
0: What was the name of that horse? I think it was two summers ago that it was a Jimmy DeVito horse, turf sprinter, that you just totally yeah. butchered the name. I can't remember his name now. Well, oh, yeah.
1: Abled. Well, Well, abled. Abled. Well, well,
0: abled. well, Larry abled. Revelli. Larry Revelli, <laughs> Larry Revelli. yeah. <laughs> it was it was Larry Revelli? I was thinking it was Okay, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I won. love it. That horse it won. Did. Yeah, it did. Yeah. That,
3: I was I in know, Miami. I was at Gulfstream that day. I was at Gulfstream, and I was just sitting there and laughed and laughed and laughed watching that horse. Uh, on the on the simulcast feed is, I'll never forget that.
0: It's a fast horse.
3: Yeah, it's a good horse.
0: Yeah. All Great right, Ellis. Let's get down to business. Three major Kentucky Derby prep races over the weekend, and also three, actually three Kentucky Oaks preps as well. Let's start at Oaklawn Park, the running of the Arkansas Derby, where the winner was Cyberknife, trained by Brandon's boy. Brad Cox, Cyber Knife won easily to Barber Road. And of course, the highly touted Philly Secret Oath for D Wayne Lucas. Uh, Cyber Knife, Brandon, your thoughts. Uh, what, what are we doing here going forward? They're going straight to the Derby.
1: Yeah, going straight to the Derby. They've got a lot of time. I think this horse was pretty green coming down the lane. Uh, you might see a little bit more with this horse. I got to go back more past performances, but I knew it through a, a dud in a previous race, but. I think this horse can m- maybe improve off that effort. Uh, I thought Barbara Road was actually a really good horse that day, too. And Secret Oath just had a real trouble path. Didn't break the, the greatest, spotted a lot of horses, made a big move sweeping for home, but just didn't have enough. And, you know, Cox, and when you get Florent Giroux, Florent always likes to go to the lead or be right up off the pace. So he had that horse right in striking distance. So I, I congratulate the team there, Cox and Florent.
0: Allen uh, strangely run race. I think the yeah. first quarter was one of the fastest opening quarters for a a mile and eighth race at Oakland at the meet. The, but the half was one of the slower half miles. So you know they they scrambled early to get position, and then they they kind of slowed it down in the middle. Your thoughts on Cyber Knife? I mean, what 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 do we do? That that effort may not have been as good as we initially thought. Uh,
3: I think it is. I'm a Cyberknife fan. I've been waiting for the horse, for the light to come on. The light came on at the fairgrounds. I'm not surprised in the slightest that he won. Actually, I thought it was a really heady move by Flo, uh, because I was wondering what he was doing initially, right? Because it looked like they were flying up front, like he moved prematurely between horses. But I think he sensed they were slowing it down that second half, and he sensed the horse on the outside, uh, the my race horse. Chasing time was starting to fade. I thought Initially, I was like, what are you doing? And then I was like, okay, I see what you're doing now. Cause he also thought he knew he had plenty of horse and he got the jump on secret oath who didn't have the best, the best of journeys. It was a winning move. And despite the fact that I thought he might've moved prematurely, he still held sway down the lane fairly easily. I think Cybernive, if he's got one more move in him, which he very well may cause he's always been highly regarded. And it's always a matter of, does the mind catch up to the physical ability? To me, there's one more jump in him. I think he's as, as prime a contender on Derby Days as, as damn or anybody. i I'm a Cyber
0: Life fan. In this day and age, you want a lot of space between races, and there's going to be five weeks now between this Arkansas Derby and the Kentucky Derby. I think we'll, we'll know just watching this horse train. Yeah. Uh, he's got that forward move in him, and I think uh, you're right. One one more forward move, and he's, he is a primary contender. Yeah. He's got the pedigree. He's a gun runner out of a really classy mare that I think the Ramseys campaigned. Awesome flower for uh, yeah. Mike May- but uh, this this horse, uh, yeah, he he bears watching. And and the runner-up, Barber Road, is the type of horse you probably want to use in your Superfectus. Every time out, brings it every time, doesn't he? he? He brings it every single time. He brings his lunch pail. And mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah, you know, I I don't think he's a win contender. But like I said, it's uh, if, you know, if you did have a meltdown, he might have a chance. But mm-hmm. and then the the Philly Secret Oath probably gonna go back to the Kentucky Oaks and. She might be the favorite in the Oaks. Uh, your, your initial thoughts uh, right now, five weeks out on Secret. Well, you, got, you got
3: Kathleen O in the Oaks, right? You've got a uh, Secret Oath. You've got Echo Zulu. I'm forgetting another big one off the top of my head. Uh, yeah, help me. Out. There's another. there's a couple more. Uh, it's the right spot. Secret. I, I would still be okay if Secret Oath went to the Derby. I think it's the right spot going to the Oaks. But uh, Luis Contreras might have got a little panicky. I think in that race. Uh, He made a bold, bold – she made a bold, bold move. Um, Flattened out – that's how it happens a lot of times. Those bold moves, they flatten out. uh, You know, I I think it's a great effort. I mean, they hit the board against uh, Colts. You know, solid effort to me. But uh, Would you make her favorite in the the Kentucky Oaks right now if he was making out the morning line? Would you do it?
0: I would. What worries me is she started to drift in a little bit there at the end i I know
3: that could have been a result of the huge move i don't know maybe uh, too much too soon i I don't know so i mean i I see your point there yeah
0: people were critical of Contreras stop stopping riding on her late i think i think she just spent and then she started to drift in a little bit i think he was trying to straighten her out a little bit that that always concerns me for a yes it's had a lot of big numbers and you know that takes a takes a toll on a horse
3: and when they're running off and neil lucas will run them off and so when you when you have a horse that's been running often, or when they drift late, it's always it's always a concern when they drift. It could be nothing, but if you're looking those past, for those who don't know, if you're ever looking in the past performances and you see, especially if a horse on the lead or whatever, and they drift, they drift like They may still win. It's always a, there could be something amiss, and it's always something to watch next out. It could be nothing, but.
1: Uh, I can't wait to see Happy Soul for uh, Ward. I think Johnny V was on that horse at one time. I think that horse will start in the Ashland on uh, on Saturday. So uh, look out for Keeneland, see what they're going to do at Keeneland. But I awesome, think that yeah. horse has got a good chance to maybe climb up in the ranks, get some points. Uh, I'm not for sure who that horse is going to run against, but. It doesn't uh, matter. I
3: will would... not pick the winner of the Ashland anyway, right, CC? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter. I mean, or
1: you got to hit the all
0: button.
3: You got to hit the all button, it's or just take the longest shots in the field. You know, it's the only...
0: unbelievable. It really is. Like you, you'll have four or five star Phillies line up, and it'll be the longest shot on the board that's, you know, has no chance, and and, and she'll win at fifty to one, and then we'll never hear from them again.
3: I'm a I'm a proponent of, of looking for a value and looking for price shots, and I, I can always you, you know this I can always come up with ways to play. I'm still I still do a terrible job in the Ashland by and large. Well, Yeah, the winners never make sense. Yeah. <laughs> I can, it's a whole buzzard and there's uh the Dallas Stewart hole. I know there's others too. Right. And it's, and every time I think I'm, I'm zigging when they zag, I haven't zigged far enough. Uh, it seems like, but to uh, keep that what in about, mind for the Ash, it's a weirdly run race often.
1: What about Juju's Map? That was a Cox filly. I'm not yeah. sure where that horse is going to end up. Haven't heard up from either.
3: Haven't heard that. That horse won the uh, the two-year-old uh,
1: the Alcibiades.
3: The Alcibiades last year. Really good effort too. It was
1: second second in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Philly, if I remember. That's
3: right. Yeah, you're right. To uh, and beat Hidden Connection. Yeah, Hidden Connection is one of the Oaks Phillies, I'm forgetting about. Hidden Connection definitely has a shot.
1: What race are we on well, to I'm next? Pretty, I'm huh. pretty excited about Keeneland. I got no idea.
0: we're going down south to florida next the gulf stream they were in the florida yeah one by white abario who uh, i think he's a very very interesting horse indeed i I don't i don't know what his chances are in louisville in five weeks but i'm very interested in brandon we'll go to you first uh your thoughts on the uh, florida derby white abario who beat the todd pletcher trained uh-oh charge it charge it finished second and then simplification was third
1: I really, you know, I kind of fell for Cassie telling me in the post game or post, uh, uh, I guess, or app, no, the pre-race just out in the actual paddock before the race started that he thought Papa cap was training better than he's ever trained and so on and so forth. So I was like expecting Papa cap to have a big effort, but it was well positioned coming from home, but then just faded back. I you think ran, the horse got okay. forward. Yeah. yeah. he ran Yeah. Just got tired. But, uh, I, you know, nothing really kind of, uh, I mean, Saffy Joseph bringing a horse to the Derby. I don't think that's been a, a really good result or I don't think he's ever raced many races here at Kentucky period, but um, this one might have a shot. I, I, I'm not sold on it. Uh, the time was about the same at Oaklawn. They ran it in a minute 50. I know it's totally two different tracks and all that, but uh, nothing really kind of jumped off the page. I saw the race. I watched it all. Charge uh, it, I think. I think Todd and w- we'll do pretty well, but I, I, I'm i just not. I wasn't as excited of that race as I was the one at Turfway.
3: Yeah, I uh, have there been Charge at Curlin um, comparisons yeah. yet. I could see people comparing Charge it to Curlin a little bit. I don't know because he's done. He, he's shown with so much promise in just three career starts. He was green down the lane, and I still not for me on Derby Dad. Like to see a little more experience, right? Um, I like to party at those Barbados owners of uh, of uh, <laughs> of uh, what a barrio. Uh, they look like they'd be a heck of a lot of fun and stuff. It just um, it, and Safi Joseph's gonna have to prove it to me bringing a horse north because you know he had a bad Saratoga. I mean, he had New York trap. New York traffic was last year, or the year before. That was the year before, wasn't that the September? That the derby. COVID
0: year. the COVID The yeah, Derby. The
3: COVID year, and that was a, that was a that was a hard knocking horse. Uh, I have a to, we I feel like we may forget about simplification now. Simplification feels like the forgotten horse in the race, right? It still ran third. Well. And what classic about Classic Causeway? Yeah, I just Dead actually life. stopped. I feel bad for Brian Lynch. It was a weird spotting that horse there to begin with, don't you think, after the two Tampa races? I I mean, I guess they need to race in between, but not that soon in between. Uh, I mean, is Classic Causeway still in the – is you think they can be in the Derby? I, I haven't know. paid attention.
0: I haven't heard. Yeah, I thought the Bluegrass would have been a perfect spot for him. Just
3: Yeah, spacing. Job. But maybe it's because they were in Florida already. I don't know. But looking back, but – uh, who do you like out there? Is anybody you like? You like White Abario that race, right?
0: Well, he's just an interesting horse. He, he that that went in the Holy Bull back in January. He he came in off of a, a missed workout or maybe two missed workouts. Yeah. He was, he was dominant in that spot, and then I think Safi has a stroke of genius to wait and skip the Fountain of Youth for this spot, and then. But I got off of him because I heard he you know he missed a work again. Did he really? That's why I got off of him, and they, you know, they said he met, he he got sick a couple, you know, maybe two weeks ago, and I got that's, off the horse and I went I, I landed on charge it, and you know he wins again and and now he's going to get another five weeks just like Cyberknife if he can squeeze out some improvement he's right there, and the horse a has a, he has a race over the track he ran in the Jockey Club yeah fall. that's true I yeah. think he, he was third maybe behind uh, Smile Happy and uh, Classic Causeway or, or maybe maybe split those two but. You know, I, the, these trainers that don't, that don't do well outside of Florida, that that is a cause Concerned, for concern. Yes, but you know, we've said that about a lot of trainers over the years. They couldn't win the big one. Same with basketball. You know, a coach can't win the big one until they do. And then Jay Wright wins it
3: again and again. Right? He wins it right. a couple so,
0: times. You know, this this horse is he, he's fast, and he you know he he did carry his uh he did carry his form to Kentucky last fall. So I, you know. Maybe, maybe he's got a shot that, you know, that race,
3: I didn't bet that race. And I'll tell you, that's an example of a race that I just, from a wagering standpoint, especially when I don't have a strong opinion, I absolutely hate those races. When you got like four, three to one horses or three, five to two horses. And I, and I can't go contrary. This is just a generalization in general. And I can't go contra. I absolutely hate those races. So those are, those are uber pass races to me, unless I can, unless there's somebody that you can just really sink your teeth into so i mean, I couldn't split them and uh yeah i'm not surprised why DeBario won but you know i think safi has got a nice runner there
0: let's tie up his bow with the turfway uh addition to the uh, triple crown trail and that was uh the jeff ruby stakes over the weekend and that was won by tiz the bomb for ken mcpeak and magdalena racing and of course our friend brian hernandez jr
3: yes can i go on this one first go for it i love this horse you know I love Tiz the Bomb. I think Tiz the Bomb is one of those underrated horses you're going to see. And he may start to get a little more love. But if you take a look, he got that horse. The, the one bad race in Florida, I think, has given a lot of people pause on what he's accomplished so far in his career. This horse started running, like, last July at Ellis, right, I want to say. And wins on the wins the stakes at, at uh, Kentucky Downs, wins the stakes, the bourbon, right, at uh, Keeneland. He broke through the gate that day and ran off a quarter mile. Right, if people forget that, it looked like he was dead in the water. Won the race going away, was absolutely flying down the stretch in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Juvenile Turf, and it gets overlooked. His performance on race gets overlooked because of the the crap that happened wagering wise out there in California. Uh, was wide in the um, in the Vitaglia, gets Brian Hernandez, and I thought he put forth his best effort the other day. I thought he looked, I thought he ran fantastically. Uh, he is going to the, the Kentucky Derby. I'm glad he's going to the Kentucky Derby. With that resume, uh, he's gonna get he's gonna get knocked a lot because he doesn't have that dirt star dirt. He'll be on my ticket. I'll tell you that right now. I thought Tiz was fantastic.
1: Yeah, that monster move coming from home and taking the lead. Essentially, no a hand one, ride too. Yeah, no one did that in the other two in the other two derbies. Right, right. And this horse looked like a damn monster. So, I mean, of course, to me, it jumped off the page. Now, you know, there was a defection in that in the far outside, which was uh, what was that called? D what was that name?
3: Oh, yeah, uh, Black Adder. Black, Black
1: Adder, yeah.
3: Excommunication, yeah.
1: Which we'll see, you know, in the bluegrass this Saturday. Yeah. So everybody keep your eyes peeled. And if the post comes up a lot better than the 12th, I mean, they're going to be in it. So uh, I, I would just got to mention that horse. But tis the bomb. I mean, outshined everybody. I thought the time was good. I thought he took over. He looked and He good. showed an extra mile. I mean, yeah. he just showed so much more coming down the lane and finishing the race than anybody else and in anybody of the other two derbies that went off that day. So is it the synthetic? You'll we'll, we'll find out maybe the horse is just better on turf and synthetic, but uh, you got to take the shot. You got to go to the Derby. It's Kenny's time. I I wish the best for him and I can't wait to get backside. I'm going to get, I'm going to take a picture of this horse because I was very, very impressed.
3: Yeah, and I'll add real quick. People are gonna say, "Well, he's a synthetic horse. He's He might be. He may not run a step on dirt. But I will tell you, who else's last two last prep was on the synthetic? That was Animal Kingdom and Street Sense. They both they both used that synthetic race. One at Keeneland, one at Turfway to launch into a Derby win. So I'm not gonna say he's not. And at 20 to one, which is probably what he'll be. Why not? You know, what do you think? And we shouldn't mention a couple of things. Tawny Port ran a big second for Brad Cox. He may get in the Derby now. And I'll tell you who might get in the Derby. Eric Reed, Rich Strike, ran hugged the rail to get third. He has he is twenty-first on the uh, on the points list right now. And of course we still got a couple preps to run. But you know, we had defections come right and left, right? So Eric Reed may get in the Kentucky Derby, which I think that'd be fantastic. He'd be two hundred to one, but you know,
0: I think I think as of right now, he's in. Of course we've got four more preps, but he's in right now. He's number twenty because Papa Cap that's was right nineteen and he's going to the Pat Day mile. So Rich Strike draws in. Uh, I'd love but,
3: to see that. I'd love to see that.
0: But he's up against it because there's a ton of preparations left. Uh, so uh, next,
3: Eric Reed's pulling for the favorites, right? He's pulling. Right, for next the, weekend,
0: you get the uh, Wood Memorial, of course, Santa Anita Derby. The Wood Memorial is going to feature Morello, Moe Early Voting. That's a that's a pretty strong trio right there. And the Santa Anita Derby will feature Forbidden Kingdom from Mandela's Barn and and of course Messier, who's now been transferred to Timiac Team Yachtin from the Baffert barn. That should be a two-horse race. Mm-hmm. And Bluegrass Saturday here at Keeneland uh, should be. If this is uh, this race holds true, this could be the race of the weekend. Maybe with uh, Smile Happy, Zandon, Ethereal Road, Emmanuel, Grantham, Blackadder, Grantham I think is number 19 maybe on the list. Uh, Blackadder in in due time. Who was, uh, was the horse yeah. that caused the trouble in the Fountain of Youth? Fenwick, Golden Glider, and Volcanic
3: i tell you, I'll tell you, he's sneaky in that race. It's the one you just mentioned, Kelly Breen's horse, in due time. In due yeah. time ran his ass off in Florida. It gets overlooked because of the Paco crap. But, uh, of course, I'm a smile-like smile-happy, I like Xandian. But I, I, in due time might sneak off at a price. I'd keep an eye on in due
0: time. Well, Paco, yeah, Paco Lopez, I, I assume, is going to keep that ride. Uh, Paco's proven in the past he'll kill somebody to win a race. and I, I know. I want that in my corner when I'm betting horses. I want somebody that's not afraid to kill uh, killer guy.
3: To, be, to be clear, you don't want anybody killed, right? Those, let's, let's go ahead. To be clear, you just want them to not be to be fearless, correct?
0: Whatever you say, pal.
3: <laughs> depends if it's a.
0: we closing like a
3: pick five, right? <laughs> cash and
0: tickets. I hear you. and don't forget. We don't, we don't want to kill anybody. We don't want we we're, we're, that was that was levity. We want to levity. keep light. Yes. <laughs> on the podcast, we don't want anybody to
1: die. Right. Yes, no. as Al, as Alan says, we're all here for fun. And you got to come out to Keeneland Saturday, rain or shine or cold, whatever <laughs> the weather's going to be. We're going to be there in person, on site, taking on site reports, lots <laughs> of uh, interviews and videos yet to come.
3: If what if he means beer and burgoo, then yes, he's correct.
1: <laughs> All
0: right, uh, we got a f- few more minutes before we get to our guest. So real quick, I want to want to talk about a Keeneland memory. Gosh, this has been a long time ago, Alan. That, I know you – I can't remember who all who all was with us, but, uh, Alan, you had a, a big uh, pick-four ticket alive.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. To the
0: last race, and uh, I can't remember the names of the horses. I know John Gaver third was the trainer of the one, one of the three that you had. You had three three horses alive. Uh, what is this, about 15 years ago, 10 years ago? God, did the years not get
3: away? Um, it was a small <laughs> ticket I played. It was a silly pick-four ticket. It was a small – but I got a lot. I think I got a lot to two horses in the last leg. It was uh, like a twenty dollar ticket. One well, well, was four to five, and it was like seventeen to one. one
0: know, I was them, coming, the coming three payoffs were like fifteen thousand, nine thousand, and five thousand, or something like yeah. that. And, and it was the
3: longest one I had. He drew off, hit the short stretch, and drew off, and got run down by John. Got run down by John Gaver's horse. A horse I remember I did not like at all. It's just one of those things, you know. You, the favorite broke, didn't fire.
0: Fu- you broke a tooth. <laughs> right? did I Did you I break a tooth? A tooth? You broke a tooth. Did I? <laughs> I can't so it. you can't remember that.
3: There's so many other stories at the rate. You remember the time I busted my head wide open, right?
0: Yeah, I,
3: I was there story. for that, too. I busted my. I lost a $500. I lost a pick three ticket at the Breeders' Cup. And in the process of hunting for it, I, uh, oh. I, was, I, was, at a, I was in the other end of the grandstand. And uh, they have concrete girders down there. And they were selling beer in some makeshift booth because of you know, the crowd. And uh, I went back there to find my ticket after I'd bought a beer. I think I put like $30 into it, I remember. And I got happy. I saw it on the ground. Of all those tickets, I found that ticket laying there. And I jumped up, and the, it really slants down there. stance at the other end of the grandstand. And I reached up. Hey, I had my ticket, pal, right on the concrete girder and got knocked out. And uh, <laughs> I went to the infirmary. They sent me to the infirmary. I woke up about uh, 10 minutes later, had the ticket in my hand. I spent the next two races in the infirmary and they got back out when they were hanging out with chad and my buddies and stuff and the pick three came in that i found paid like five or six hundred dollars right because it was Hanson.
0: you remember that uh, you remember that you and i watched the the breeder's cup turf from the infirmary i'm fairly certain yes i was with you you don't probably don't remember it because you're loopy but yeah but i had Which my ticket
3: bad. that's the, at the end of the day it's like you know it's like it was well worth it right, uh, there, right. i think beer was on me after that i couldn't drink any because i was lightheaded uh, but I had, a, I had, you know, I probably bled out pretty good because I already had too much beer in me. We were there for the, the Calvin Burrell and the uh, Javier Castellano fight, too, right?
0: We yes, were there for that. That's correct. Yeah. We'll have more <laughs> Keeneland talk later, but uh, right now, let's meet our guest.
3: Yeah. Thank you, Cece. Uh, as we alluded to earlier, it's, it's early April here in Kentucky. And that means it's time for the always highly anticipated Keeneland spring meet. It's the annual rite of passage in central Kentucky. So we decided to bring Jim Jim Goodman, pardon me, Jim Goodman on, to get the ball rolling for Keeneland. Jim is not only the director of wagering development at the Heaven on Earth race track known as Keeneland, but he also co-hosts the Keeneland Select in the Money podcast with Kentucky Wildcat announcing legend and former Auxiliary Gate guest Tom Leach. He's a busy man this time of year, but he was gracious enough to join us tonight, and we thank him for that. Jim Goodman, how's it
2: going, my man? Well, I just happened to be available tonight. I was supposed to, supposed to be in New Orleans this weekend, but you know how that went. Yeah. So um, we'll touch had, on that. <laughs> I had a place to stay and everything, but we won't talk about that right now.
3: We will we'll bring up some of that stuff <laughs> as a whole. But for okay. people that don't know, Jim is a like all of us here on the podcast. Jim's a big Kentucky Wildcat fan, and we're going to touch on some of that stuff a little bit. We won't get into the the nasty stuff. Not the nasty stuff. More disappointing stuff here in a moment. But, uh, you know, they are going to be playing a basketball This is taped on Monday night, so we don't know who's going to win the national championship yet. Do you, are, is your four, who are you pulling for, Jim?
2: Anybody but Kansas, so I guess i got to pull for North Carolina. Well, you ever <laughs> think,
3: how many times do you ever think you say that? <laughs> uh,
2: I think twice in my life. I pulled for him on Saturday, so I guess I'll pull for him again tonight.
3: Yeah, well, you know, Hubert Davis is a decent guy. Anyway, yeah. so, again, uh, you know, the Keelan meet does start Friday. Um, how busy is it behind the scenes right now for those of us who don't see what goes into uh, to putting a meet like that together? Um, not just for you, but for everybody. How, how busy is it at Keeneland right now?
2: Yeah, I never realized. I had uh, before I came to work for Keeneland, I worked for state parks in Kentucky, and I used to take off a half a day every day for the Keeneland meet. I'd take I'd save up my vacation time and come into work at seven, leave at eleven, and get over here by twelve thirty for the first race. And it was so much fun, you know. It's like You walk into, it's kind of like walking into the gates of Augusta National. You walk into Mm -hmm. Keeneland and everything's just pristine and it it makes you feel good when you walk through the gates. I did not realize how hard it is to make it look that way. And uh, luckily, I'm not on the maintenance crew, but I see them work every single day from March 1 all the way through. I see our staff just, uh, the, the month of March at Keeneland is really our busiest time from a standpoint of racing because you're getting ready for the spring you're coming out of winter you've got weather issues and basically you've got to get that place to where it shines on april the 8th this time and i didn't realize how hard it is but it's uh, it's difficult it's um it's 50 hour 60 hour week work weeks uh that you can take a little bit off in the winter time but at keeneland in march and april and september and october We really work hard, and it shows in the fact that our staff is so good and and is welcoming everybody with open arms on April the 8th. We had it very well that we're really tired.
3: Yeah, you know, it's funny. It reminds me a little bit of of like a Disney World, right? Uh, When you go to Disney and you, you walk through there, everything's pristine and immaculate. But you know, when you go to bed of a night, you know, when, when you're not there, those people are working their tails off, right, to get it to look that way, where you take it for granted how well it looks, right? I mean, it's it's a massive undertaking, especially with the weather issues you got to go into with, with March, right?
2: Yeah, and you never know what's going to happen. And one of the things that we did through COVID, which actually wound up helping us, is that. We're shutting down now 30 minutes after the last race, where we used to go all the way through Santa Anita for simulcasting. We've got Red Mile open now for simulcasting, so we've got that option. Uh More people are betting on their phone now. So the simulcasting had fallen off quite a bit at Keeneland. Most people just exit after the live race. Well, you see our housekeeping people now, 30 minutes after the last race, they're out there cleaning everything. So it gives them about a two-hour head start, which is a huge advantage for us uh, to get through that. You know, before two o'clock in the morning, it's uh, it looks pretty rough Saturday night after the bluegrass is over, but Sunday morning, we're we're back racing, and it looks just like it did on Friday morning.
3: And so, for you personally, as it, as we mentioned a moment ago, you're the you're the director of wagering development there. What boxes do you have to check, uh, personally, to be uh prepared for that opening day? Is there anything in particular you do uh, that really uh, leads to that?
2: My biggest things are I have to order the programs. So that is weather-driven. Really? Uh, I have to do all the contracts. So I've been working on those since probably February 1. So I negotiate all the contracts for uh, for other people to take our signal and also for us to simulcast everybody else's signal. Um, I supervise all the mutual clerks. So that's a hiring process, dealing with unions, uh, making sure everybody comes back from last year, staffing it up. I've got a really good assistant director that, that does a lot of that for me. But those are my main duties. Uh, otherwise, I take care of the VIPs, so I supervise the bluegrass room and the green room, which are our two VIP areas here that uh, that we try to put big players in. So my my job is customer service slash contracts slash ordering stuff. So it's <laughs> kind of a little bit of everything uh, in the spring.
3: Well, you know, I think you actually sold yourself short there because <clears throat> one of the things that I think you're, you've are become known uh, – across the state and across the thoroughbred industry is that that wager that Keelan came up with last meet uh the three dollars make sure i get this right now the three dollar turf pick three and that was your baby wasn't it
2: it was we were talking about doing some things uh prior to covid that got put off because we everything was just so we missed spring of 2020 and then uh, didn't have any very many people here in, in the fall of 2020 so When we started talking about last fall, um, my new boss, the vice president of racing, Gatewood Bell, and I sat down and we talked about having a higher minimum daily double or having a higher minimum pick three. And I just came up with the fact that a lot of people like to bet the turf races. They're the best races at Keeneland, as long as the weather's good, Mm -hmm. with full fields. And nobody had ever tied those together. And the only uh, technical thing that you've got to do, you can't put it into the regular wagering menu. It has to be a separate event, somewhat right. similar to the uh, the cross-country pick four, the stronic pick five. You can't in- integrate it into the wagering menu because you've got other pick threes starting those same races with different minimums. So we decided to make it a $3 pick three rather than a $5. We thought the $3 was kind of a sweet spot. I was very happy with handle last year. We did $230,000 on opening Saturday in the fall, and we averaged over 130,000, even with the days that we had taken off the turf. Um, payoffs averaged about $1,000, about 1,050, I think, and the highest payoff was $3,600 for $3. So I think it was a successful uh, wager. Breeders' Cup copied it last year, and they did an all-turf um, mm-hmm. uh, pick pick four, I guess, didn't they? Or no, they did all turf yeah. pick three. All turf pick three, I guess. But
0: they did a they did a all turf pick four.
2: They got a lot of stuff.
0: I know it. I got <laughs> it
2: early. It did a million dollars in handle, so uh, that that was a good plus for um, for Breeders Cup. And then Stronick copied it this year on the first Saturday in May. They did an all dirt pick five and an all turf pick five, tying Santa Anita and Gulfstream together. So it must be good because people are copying it. So I, I'm I'm happy to start it. I like to do other, you know, new things for players. It's a 15% takeout. Um, I always try to try to push that. I, I, I'm a firm believer in lower takeout from a standpoint of churn. So um, I think it's a bit of success, and I hope it's, it does better in the spring.
3: I think it will, and I think more people are into it. And you you know you just need a 125 to one shot to come up for that thing to pay about 10 grand. It it, it theoretically mm-hmm. could for Oh, among, sure. It teaches people not to spread as much, maybe centralize their wagers and stuff. So I'm a big fan of it, and I look forward to it. It actually brings me to another question. Uh, that, Thinking about this, you come up with the idea, for instance, right? What kind of hoops you, – you get an idea. What kind of hoops do you have to, ju- to jump through to turn your dream, your idea, into reality? Is is, it, is this difficult, or is, I mean, there's so, so much logistically that you have to do or even get an approval to do it?
2: The approval process was fairly easy. I, I talked to the racing commission. We've got a very um, horse track friendly racing commission in, in Kentucky. They they work with us, uh, you know, tirelessly to try to make sure things do, go well, even though they are a regulatory agency. They really are interested in, in having us succeed. So I talked to them maybe two months before the meet started, uh, proposed Proposed what we were doing. We used the existing PIC-3 rules. We just modified them to be a $3 dollars Pick 3 So that was simple. They approved it. Um, you have to talk to Equibase about building a separate card, and that's a little additional cost for the host track. They put together a card that, that you could download from Equibase or, or, um, or BRISNet. And then um, you have to set up a separate wagering event, and that's probably the most work because United Toad has to set that up. And then they have to put that out to all your wagering outlets to make sure they connect to it. And I think we had a really good success rate. There were a few, in, there were a few outlets last year that didn't take it, but by the end of the meet, I think everybody was taking it if they could. Um, the uh, computer wagers didn't wager on it. They don't usually have the data available to tie into special events like that. So that's another reason that it was a. Uh, the retail players dominated that so um, that's a that's a good thing for the average player
3: do do people send you ideas uh for new wagers do you come up with them do you have a team that brainstorms <laughs> them or or people hey jim because i know you're around a lot of big time players right and, and small time players and they probably come up with that do people feed you ideas or
2: yes i've had uh i've had players come to me with higher minimum came from players that was the idea they said the 50 cent pick three, pick four, pick five, the 10 cent super have diluted their payoffs right. so much that they were looking for better opportunities. And it was tailored toward that. And I, I had some criticism uh, initially from, from smaller players who said, I can't afford to play it. And my answer to that is play the regular pick three. Right. It's 50 cents. Uh, this is a special wager. If you don't want to play it, that's fine. But if you do want to play it, a $3 minimum makes a lot of sense for a pick three because it basically, the payoffs can be outstanding because you can't spread as much. Right. Um, so yes, other players have brought ideas to me. Uh, anything from a, when the Golden Hour wager started out in California, they uh, somebody co- told me I should copy that with a late daily double that was a five dollar minimum. Um, but I, I came up with this because it was unique and uh, it, it's worked out well. I think the other thing is that um, the. People come up with all kinds of crazy stuff, and I've got one guy who calls me every year that wants to, me to put in the um, all place all pick nine or pick ten or pick yeah. eleven. Yeah. And I and I hate that wager, and I I don't mind telling you. I mean, I, I want I want it to be player friendly. That is anything but player friendly, and it's anything but track friendly. You don't want to have somebody tie up a hundred dollars in a wager that takes ten races to figure out whether you're going to win or not. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I, so I, I I put him off every year, but he calls me every year. So
3: I'm with you on that one. Yeah, these these ideas had to be uh, centered in some sort of reality. Right. Some sort of realistic, some sort of realistic thing. And that that I'm, the place all thing is just not my cup of tea. And I'm, I'm glad you agree with that. Uh, let's talk about your other. Uh, we, we got another podcast guy here. You host the uh, the Keen on Select and the Money podcast. I mentioned that earlier with Tom mm-hmm. Leach. Uh, Tom was gracious enough to be on our on our podcast last year. We think the world of him because, as we said, we're Kentucky fans too. And as a Kentucky fan, as a horse racing fan, that has to be awesome to work with Tom because uh, he knows a lot about both both entities, doesn't he?
2: He does. He's a he's a really good handicapper too. Yeah, he uh, is. We were, we were talking off the air. He makes everybody look. We're from Kentucky, so we don't sound quite as good as he does. Uh, but he's, he's a professional and he's a great handicapper, just a really good person. And he's, it's fun to talk about every week we talk about horse racing, but we also talk about Kentucky basketball a little bit. So, um, it, it's a fun thing. We do it once a week. We usually pick a pick four from the major tracks. And during live racing, we actually do it every day. And we focus mm. on our late pick four and any other wagers that we think is, is good to pass along. We've got a fairly loyal listenership among our keynote select players.
3: So that's good. Yeah, I've listened before. I'm I'm a fan of it. And now we've had both halves of that In the Money podcast yeah. double on there. So we, we truly feel honored. And, you know, talking about wagering, when you find the time to play, uh, is there a wager? Is there an angle? Is there a, a trainer, a jockey that – uh that you gravitate to what what's Jim Goodman's uh, uh, handicapping acumen what do you like
2: my favorite bets the pick four pick five um uh it's probably not the smartest bet for a novice to try uh right. I really I try, try to get people to focus on win place and exactus um that's the smartest wager that's the way to stay in the game longer but I like to play the pick fours and pick fives because I, I really enjoy that challenge. I like the pick five because it's 15% takeout. Uh, unfortunately, um, one of my angles is I love Florent Giroux. <laughs> I wish I had singled him in three races on Oakland's uh big day on Arkansas Derby day. Cause he won three of the five
0: yes.
3: and I
2: could have gone all, all and I believe it paid what? 40 grand, something like that. Ooh, <clears throat> ouch. Oh, of course you had a, uh, Uh, you had an unusual winner. You had a couple of long shots in there, but he won three. Yeah. So you're a big
3: Florent Giroux fan, huh?
2: I've liked Florent since he, uh, since he was at Arlington. I, um, I remember picking him up there. Uh, One of his, uh, his mother-in-law is a good friend of mine. She used to be the simulcast director at Arlington Park. And so we talk about Flo a lot. Uh, For example, the, the during the in the Arkansas Derby, um, you know he was torn between riding Brad's horse um, uh, Cyberknife and uh, Brissette's horse uh, We the People. And Brad said he kind of twisted him arm, talked him into it. And I'm glad he did because he he won, and We the People didn't didn't fire that day. No, he didn't. Uh, I think Florence Florent's a great rider, and a lot of people think he's just a turf rider. Uh, he puts a horse in the race, and and he always gives gives us 100%. And I, I just think he's a I think he and Flavian Pratt. And now they just announced today that Rispoli is going to come to Keeneland uh, starting on the 13th. So he's going to ride in riding Kentucky this year. So we've got we've got uh, the best French uh, riders riding here between those three plus uh, Julian.
3: Yeah, and for the guys who uh, like that $3 turf pick three, the fact that Rispoli and Pratt, those guys, are that, that's a centerpiece of some nice payoffs right there on the turf with those guys. So now I'm already plotting yep. my moves. <laughs> um, with the Keeneland meet opening, and you're, I mean, you've been going to Keeneland, I mean, for a long time, correct? I mean, long time, long time. Yeah. So, is there any with with the with the meat upon us in its infancy? Is there any certain Keeneland specific angles that you look for in the spring? I saw, you know, Wesley Ward or John Ennis with a two-year-old, or anything that 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 strikes your fancy? Yeah,
2: particular? those are, yeah, those are are, are easy. just terrible angles because they're easy and everybody gets them. Um,
3: yeah,
2: <laughs> I'm interested to see how. uh Steve Asmussen does here this time because he was cold last year at Kingland and uh, I don't know if he's focusing on our meat or not but uh, I, do like, I do like his, his horses and, um, and his go-to rider was, was terrible last fall here but they went to Churchill and they turned it around so I'm interested to see how Asmussen does uh, there's a trainer that I really like that, that had some success at um, Turf Lake, Paulo Lobo Amen uh, brother amen lobo's horses sneak up on you and um you know he's got a couple coming back in the in the in the uh, turf races this um opening weekend and i think he's uh he's a good trainer that gets overlooked a lot
3: yeah he uh, does well with the brownswood farm horses and the oxo and horses and uh, he's one you always have to have on your tickets and uh and yeah he's a good one uh before we get into this kentucky stuff cc brandon do you want to jump in for a moment
1: yeah i can uh jim this is brandon jaggers how are you hey brandon i'm great you okay yeah we'll be there uh cc and i and i I think we're gonna try to get alan in if he doesn't have a lot of chores to do saturday but we're coming (laughs) rain or shine (laughs) cold or warm but um, well just bundle up yeah i know that's what it looks like but uh uh, just curious, you know, do you oversee or have any kind of influence at the racing office as to when they start drawing for the card? Because a lot, a lot of old guys that are busy and you know, and, you know, during work and all this other stuff, I love when a card draws five days ahead of time. Is that something you've ever talked to anybody about that does that in the racing office, or because it no, gives us uh, a little bit of time to to prepare? yeah
2: I know fairgrounds is great about that fairgrounds gets theirs out way early um we go 72 hours out unless it's a special occasion and um Ben Huffman's our racing secretary same guy that does it at Churchill and uh he and I have not talked about extending that out I I know the handicappers would love would love for it to be drawn at least a day earlier um it's it's one of those things that we, because we have horses coming from all over, mm-hmm. we have to hustle a little bit to fill these races sometimes. Yeah. Um, so if you if you draw it out, like at fairgrounds, those horses are there on the grounds. You don't have to be people shipping in. Right. Keeneland's shipping from everywhere, and now with Oakline running on up through April, we've got more competition there, and I, th- I just think that it's one of those things that he's trying to work those races to try to make sure we get as big a fields as possible. I think if we stretch it out to four or five days, I think we'd have issues with not only filling them, but also some late scratches. That's yeah. just my opinion. Uh, I understand why handicappers would like for it to be better. Um, but that that's why it's that way is the way I understand
1: it. Now, when uh, the Breeders' Cup comes around, is that just an, another deal to where it's about leasing? Do you... Well, how much is your involvement in, in that activity up in this fall? Because I don't know if we'll get to talk to you before November, but we'd certainly like to. But I would like to know your role. Well, my, my role at
2: Breeders' Cup, basically, I'm trying to um, – uh, Tim Schramm and I work the Breeders' Cup betting challenge. So, that is my main goal as far as what I work with in Breeders' Cup. I don't do any ticketing. They take care of all that. Um, we do work with VIPs to try to get them some some better seating, and then my biggest job for Breeders' Cup is contracts. So uh, we start working on those right after live meets over in the spring, and I will be getting contract packets out to everybody that takes Breeders' Cup, not only domestically but internationally. So that's my summer.
3: <laughs> oh boy!
2: Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, though, I've done it twice. It was hard in 2015. It wasn't quite as hard in 2020 and won't be quite as hard in 22 because basically the same people that were the contacts at the other tracks are still in place. Good. So uh, that, that won't be quite as hard, but that's my main job. My assistant director is responsible for staffing the mutual clerks, um, and we get clerks from all over the country. We have basically – a checklist of clerks that come from Santa Anita, uh, Del Mar, a lot, a lot of those clerks out there worked, you know, 10 or 12 Breeders' Cups, and they like to travel. Uh, we get a few from New York and quite a few from Churchill, obviously. Uh, so we have to staff up. We take Keeneland, that usually is a sleepy little track with 25,000 people on a Saturday, to take it to 50,000. We obviously <laughs> have to have a whole lot more clerks.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So
2: our mutual clerk staff goes from about, 175 to 200 on a Saturday to about 500 on Breeders' Cup Friday and
1: Saturday. Wow. That's so, incredible. Well, my one last question, and I'll flip it to CC, <clears throat> is you've mentioned VIP players a couple times in the Keeneland Select Edge. You know, I guess describe a little bit about what what is that type of clientele to you guys? What does that mean? What does their handle mean? How do they identify themselves to you?
2: We've got a situation in Keeneland Select
1: where we rank players based on
2: their handles. So they're either platinum, gold, or silver based on how much they do per year. And then, you we know, have such a, a short meet, <clears throat> excuse me. I have VIP managers from Santa Anita, uh, New York, California, uh, Del Mar, um, Gulfstream calling me and they'll, you know, basically, we've got a little network of VIP managers Tom Quigley out in Santa Anita, uh, for example, sends me some players. And, you know, we verify through each other what kind of players they are. Um, Our green room here is very limited. We try to have a minimum wager per day out of the table up there.
1: Um, Other than that, we just basically use it, use our network to identify those players. Is it someone, do you all use like cross-reference with Twin Spires? I hate to say it, I'm a Twin Spires user, but (laughs) you kind of got me sold off if I can get into one of these rooms on a meet day, I would love it. <laughs> um, I work with uh,
2: the VIP managers at Twin Spires regularly, so um, they've got a big player coming down opening weekend that I was just able to get accommodations for yesterday. So,
3: C.C. Broadus but, is it him? Yeah, I, well, <laughs> it is. I
2: think I think Broadus was the last name. Yeah, he <laughs> yeah. said so he was his top three top three players on Twin Spires. On
0: that. After that. After last weekend, uh, I had to take a second job, so I don't think I'm going to be top three on Keeneland's going forward. I understand that. Go ahead, CC. Hey, Mr. Goodman, i got just a couple questions for you. You know, Keeneland's been on the forefront of just about, I mean, a, a ton of innovations and additions to the to the plan itself. Just curious, in your mind, you know, whether it be maybe that infield tote board or track us or, uh, what What is Keeneland's greatest innovation or in, in your mind?
2: Well, I think one of the things that I, when I went to work at Keeneland, you have this idea that we're a traditional track, that we've got racing mm-hmm. as it was meant to be, used to be uh, our mo- mantra. And I learned that, yeah, we're traditional, but we're also uh, innovative. And I think that, unfortunately we did the um, um, poly track as an innovation which didn't work out Um, we got a great turf course but I think that since I've been there the fact that Keeneland is is an old school track that basically uh, takes care of the customers believes in the fact that The racetrack business is a customer-driven business, and we try to make the live event as good as it possibly can be. And I think racetracks have gotten away from that uh, over the past few years. It's very easy to sit back and say, well, I don't have to worry about concessions or keeping the place clean or doing all these things that make people come back because they're going to bet on me anyway. And I really believe that I work at the best racetrack in the country because our people care about the people that come to see us. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a very simplistic you know, notion that you, you care about the people who pay your bills, but we really do. And I think there are a number of tracks that still do that. I think Saratoga does that. I think Del Mar does that. I think Oakland does that. And that's why you see all those people at those venues. Um, Keeneland has a a short enough meet that it's a very social event that it's it's hard to get into. It's a special treat for somebody to come to Keeneland, Um, so we got an advantage that way. But as far as being, excuse me, innovative, I think we've been very aggressive with our wagering menu. We've uh, lowered our minimums. We were one of the first to do a 10-cent super, one of the first to do a 50-cent pick five. Um, so I think we, we've, we've done some changes in our wage room with you and, and the pick three, the turf pick three that we did last year is an example of what we, we sit down and talk about what we need to do to make it better. And we don't just rest on our laurels. And I, I've always enjoyed working in Keeneland for that reason that, uh, they, we care about the people we want to get better and we want to make sure that Keeneland maintains its status at the top of the heap.
0: speaking of taking care of your customers, I know one customer in particular uh, that wagers Brandon Jagger's type money. That's uh, Mike Maloney. And I know uh, yeah. I read an article about him a long time ago. He he actually had his own office or his own room at Keeneland. It was, is that correct? And what, what does he do now with the simulcasting that moved moved to the Red Mile?
2: So when I first uh, arrived at Keeneland, which was 16 years ago, um, my office was actually right next to Mike's office. And um, Mike had his own office, had his own, had his own teller. Uh, had eight tvs set up in there and uh was uh, you know the hardest working handicapper i've ever seen in my life if he spent 40 hours a week there he had to spend 70 hours a week there and um mike is just a good guy he's he works hard he does his own numbers you know, you look at his racy form it's got red marks all over it that don't mean anything to anybody but him and um and mike uh, maintained that office at Keeland until we moved to Red Mile in 2015. We built him an office, a similar office at Red Mile, and then he stayed over there for about four years. And then I think he's wagering online now. I don't know w- with what service, but he's still wagering, but he's not uh, he's not at Red Mile or Keeneland.
0: Uh, I want to piggyback on something Brandon asked earlier. That, do you have a playbook that you use when you're uh, – like most tracks – We'll only do more than no more than two or three pick fours, uh, two pick fives on a card. Is, is there a, a, a wagering study or a playbook that you all like that you guys go by to, to card the, the wagering for a particular meet?
2: Well, I think we expanded to the early pick five because of the success that, that it had in California. Um we saw what it was doing out there. It had success for different reasons out there because they have a lower takeout on the early pick five than they do the late pick five. But we saw how much handle was being generated. We wanted to get that interest in that first race, which is one of the things that you you, you fight as a as a racetrack. that was a like first race is a throwaway. You throw a you know a two year old mm-hmm. you know a two year old or a maiden claimer or something like that. Well, there's a lot of potential for growth there. And what we've seen is that. Obviously, if somebody's betting a pick five, they bet the race you know, internally, and there's more interest in the early pick four that starts the second race. As far as the playbook, no, there's no, cer- there's no certain thing that I, that I look at. We did add a third pick five uh, out of necessity for Saturday's Toyota Bluegrass card because we needed to make NBC's post time of 5.10 p.m. And when you build, that's the other thing I do, I I build post times. And so when you start building at one o'clock, you can't make the 11th race 510. It's just impossible. (laughs) Yeah. So we did some things. We're, We're actually running our first race at 1230 on that day. And we're running the bluegrass as the ninth race of the day. So we'll have two races after the bluegrass. So we'll run a early pick five, then an all stakes pick five that starts in the fifth that goes through the five stakes races. And then a third pick five that goes seven through 11. Um, I, I don't like to do the third pick five because it does tie up handle. It ties up money that could otherwise be being churned through into race wagers. So that's, that's a negative, but I thought that in this case we got to do an all stakes pick five because that hand, that'll, that'll handle over a million dollars probably. And then the late pick five, It's just something that's consistent that we want to make sure that players get used to always having that late pick five, no matter what you do with the middle of the card.
0: So one of the things you're known for, I think, in handicapping circles is you've created the the handicapping contest at Keeneland, uh, the, uh, the grade one gamble, which I think is in three weeks. Is that correct?
2: It's 23rd. Yes, it's the third Saturday. This time.
0: And then you've got another uh, for smaller players, another handicapping challenge. Maybe, is it the same weekend? Maybe.
2: Right. We're going to try it. We've tried a little bit of everything. So we're going to try that one on a Friday. Um, at, I was able to move the grade one gamble and my fall tournament called the NHC BCBC challenge. They're both $3,500 buy ins. I was able to move them to Saturday during COVID because I had more dining space and I was able to expand it to include online wagering. So we went from having 150 players, maybe 175 at Keeneland to I had 250 last year in the, in the fall contest and hoping for 300 this year. Hmm. So we're doing it on a Saturday now because I, I went to the boss and I said, here's how much handle I did with 150 players in the Phoenix room versus what we did with 300 players that aren't in a contest the Saturday before. <laughs> and so my handle was, uh, let, me, let me just say, substantially higher than a regular Phoenix room crowd. Mm-hmm. So we are taking that Saturday for the contest now, and I'm going to try it on a Friday with a $400 contest, hoping those guys come in early for the weekend and play in that $400 contest as well.
0: What's so. it take to win a contest like that? <laughs> are these people firing every race? Are they they selected play four or five races on a card? or what, What's it take to win something like this?
2: With a $3,500 contest, we make them play at least five races, at least $400 a race, and then a total of $2,500 throughout the card. So uh, a lot of people try to get through the early races, just betting their minimums, and then try to build a a substantial bankroll to try to fire the last race or two. Uh, I've seen in these tournaments, I'm also the compliance officer for the BCBC. So I look at all the wagers there every year and I've seen these guys just, I don't, you know, the guy that won the BCBC last year bet $34,000 on next go to win and came back with 140 grand. So, you know, there's all kinds of of ways of doing it, but uh, basically you want to keep turning your money early unless you love something in the third race and you can fire at it. Um, but I've seen him, I've seen all kinds of different ways. Uh, Tommy Mass is one of the best handicappers in the country. A few years ago, in the third race, loved a horse and hit a thousand dollar trifecta for thirty grand. <laughs> he won the contest. All he had to do was sit on it the rest of the way.
3: Mm. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, oh, go ahead, go ahead, CC, go
0: ahead. So, well, I've got two more questions. One for Brandon, one for Jim. Brandon, can you stake me in this year's Grade One gamble? <laughs> I know that's walking around money for you.
1: We're going to go sideline on this one, and we're going to talk because I'm getting real interested. I'm motivated. I'll (laughs) if you
0: would be. If you pay for my entry, I'll stake you 10% of the winnings.
1: okay. Sounds like a deal to me. Yeah.
2: Yeah. (laughs) One thing that you guys ought to think about, really, is when you're looking at contests like this, and I've always told everybody for the Breeders' Cup contest, if you're going to bet over the course of two days, the breeders cup, if you're going to bet $7,500 and that's a substantial amount of money, I know that, but if you're going to bet that kind of money anyway, it is an absolute no brainer to put another 2,500 with it and and take a shot at 400 grand. Mm -hmm. The guy that won it last year put up 7,500 bucks or 10,000, 2,500 of it goes to prize fund. And he, he won $400,000 plus his bankroll. So he took on 550,000. Um, and he bet the $7,500 plus he turned it a couple of times. So he probably bet $15,000 over the weekend. But uh, same thing with a $3,500 buy-in. If you're going to bet $2,500 on a card, no matter where it's at, Kingland or Belmont or wherever, and you're putting up that extra 1000 for a chance at, in my case, $75,000 for first place, plus a BCBC, plus NHC spot. So you're talking about close to hundred grand in prizes plus your bankroll it's uh it, it is expensive but you can also qualify online through horse tournaments. we've got feeder tournaments so we had a guy last year got in for you know 200 bucks and won the whole thing so uh there's a lot of ways to do it and handicapping tournaments are are a great way for people to to maximize their the, the benefit to their wagering
0: yeah that's uh quickly become one of the main uh focuses i guess <laughs> of the uh the tournament uh World is uh, this grade one gamble. It's right up there, probably underneath the BCBC and, and some of the other uh, big challenges. But, that, yeah, yeah, that's uh, congratulations on creating such a uh, widely anticipated event. Uh, Jim, I've got one more, probably the most important question of all. Can you confirm or deny that the buffet <laughs> and, more importantly, the corn beef will be returning to the bluegrass room this spring? <laughs> or is, that, is that a thing of the past?
2: It, well, I don't know that it's a thing of the past permanently but it will not be returning now um, we have some issues uh, COVID taught us some things um, the bluegrass room was always a difficult place for us to provide food uh, we, we don't have a kitchen there and it's got to be trucked up there on on carts from a, the lower kitchen by the equestrian room that was always difficult and with COVID restrictions it became almost impossible so, what we're actually going to do the bluegrass room this time is going to be completely different. It's going to be more of a lounge setting. So, we've taken that buffet area and made it a bar. And so, and we put a lot of nice furniture in there. They've got, a, they've got a lot of high tops, some couches. It's just more of a lounge setting than it is the formal dining room that we had before. So, to answer your question, it won't be back. We do have, still have the buffet, however, in the Phoenix room. Which okay. is right by the Bluegrass Room.
0: Well, I'll have to I have to find my way up there then. Uh, but okay, I'm sorry to hijack the conversation. No, uh, <laughs> oh, that's okay. Jim, mm-hmm. uh, uh, what's your favorite concession at Keeneland?
2: My favorite concession at Keeneland, um, probably, probably just the barbecue place on the first floor, right by right outside the paddock. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, so either,
2: either the barbecue, they've also got burgoo there, so I like the burgoo. Uh, I like the I like the smoked barbecue, and then I also have to do bread pudding. It's it's at a couple of different concession states. All right, we're on the same. <laughs> all right, yeah. It's
0: bread. Uh, the correct answer is bread pudding one, <laughs> corned beef sandwich two, hot chocolate three in oh, October. Hot yeah. October, but yeah, you're you're close. You, you, we're on the same page. Yeah. All right, Alan, right, I'm sorry about all that.
3: Oh, you're fine, but it's it's actually corned beef sandwich one, burgoo two. But I digress. Um, we we got to talk about Kentucky. The Kentucky Wildcats, where you go, right, Jim? Like I said, you're a big, you're a big UK fan, right? I am.
2: Yeah. I am. <laughs>
3: um, more basketball, more football. Do you go to both games, or just just basketball?
2: Uh, go to both. Um, uh, got season tickets for both right now. Uh, I, I let football go for a while. Uh, <sighs> got them back last year. Uh, I was a Fairweather fan. I, to be quite honest, I do have an excuse there are times when I can't go to football games because Keeneland's running Kingland, in October. Right. right. Um, and we have no control over the post times, no. I mean, over the uh, football times. And, you know, screwy things happen and, and you have a one o'clock game and there's no way I can get there. I can get there. I have tested it. I can run on uh, on Saturday, opening Saturday. We get out of there at 6.30 and I have made kickoff at
3: 7.30. Oof,
2: that's, that's it's hard. hard. It's hard. hard.
3: It's <laughs> only about ten minutes away, but that last hour is tough.
2: Yeah, it's uh, ten minutes away on a great day uh, at three o'clock in the morning. It's just not yeah. ten minutes away at six thirty after a no. Keeneland day.
3: No, it's not.
2: Um, and you gotta know how to get out of Keeneland too, the back way. Um yeah. but that, their football team has turned it around. Their basketball team was so good in January. I wish I the tournament had been February, the first weekend in February instead of the first weekend in April. Um, we we had everything going. Uh, this is the last time I'll say this because my, everybody gets tired of it. But we beat Kansas by 18 at Kansas, and <laughs> we beat North Carolina by 29 on a neutral floor in Vegas. <laughs> yeah. And they're playing for the Dead Gum National Championship. And <laughs> gotta,
3: gotta move that tournament, I guess. Move, move yeah. Uh,
2: but I swear, you know, I don't want to make excuses for Kentucky, but Ty Ty Washington was never the same. No, after he was. He came back with his injury, and neither was severe. Uh, Wheeler took those con- concussions uh and got knocked out for a couple games and came back and hurt his wrist and he was never the same either and um the other thing that that was a factor that I thought would help us while they were out they moved Kellen Grady to point guard and he played 39 minutes out of 40 and I swear his legs were dead the last three or four games he couldn't hit a jump shot
3: I agree you're right that analysis spot on folks it was the guard play that the injuries of those two guys really set things aside but you know I'm not one to focus on the negatives. I want to focus on the positive Oscar Sheboy oh. one of the best human beings ever to grace the, the college basketball landscape, so just one player of the year. Was it today or yesterday? Nasmith player of the year. So my question to you is you've got some pull at Keeneland. Can you get
2: the,
3: <laughs> can you get a race named after either Oscar Sheboy or Michelle Lovell? Can
2: you do that? <laughs> <laughs> it might be tough. We, we don't name races after, after anybody here, except, Farms and uh, that that would be tough. <laughs> when he but buys a if, horse farm, with if his he Indian buys a, a horse farm, you know what I hope with Oscar is I hope they get the NIL deal straightened out where he can make some serious money in Lexington next next summer yeah. and he can come back and I think that's a real possibility. I I think it's it may be a pipe dream, but he loves it here. The people, it's amazing to be sitting in rup Arena and get more of an ovation for an Oscar rebound than somebody gets a three. I mean, it's, it's unreal. <laughs> Uh, my son works for Central Bank, and they came up with um, the not only the three signal for somebody getting a three, but they've got the big cards that they hold up with a R. Uh, for so, his rebounds. You know, yeah, for rebound. So well, let's hope he, he, he comes was just back. A, he was a unique individual, and I, I, I hope he comes back. If not, I hope he kills it in the NBA next year because I've never, I've never seen a more loved Kentucky player, and I've we seen ask some. Questions. I've seen some over the years that I thought would never. Dan so Louis Dampier. Jamal Mashburn, you know, all those guys. But this, I think Oscar is probably at the top of that heap.
3: To do it in one year, to do it in one year is, is simply phenomenal. But something else is phenomenal, uh, we got a shout-out to uh, your granddaughter. You got a granddaughter there, right, that's the – give her a shout-out to Miss Ella.
2: I do, and she just left. I just saw him pull away. Oh! We, had, we had, take her, had to take her back uh, to, to her mom's house. She was fixing cookies with – Papa and BB. So I will. Uh, when I play this back, I'll make sure that Ella hears her name. And how, And uh, she's your role, isn't she? She is. She'll be four on April the twenty-third, and then there's nothing like her. I've got two kids, but there's nothing like grandchildren. So. Well, tell uh, you,
3: tell Ella we all said hi. Brandon, Cece, and Alan said hi. I will um, do that. Well, uh, but thanks, hey, Jim. Uh, we've we've taken too much of your time again. We know you're busy. We truly do appreciate the job you do at Keeneland. It does not go unnoticed. From the vetologist to the uh, the tailgate area, I mean, t- Keeneland thinks of everything. And, obviously, and then they think of the horse players, too, as uh, you proven stuff. So, we appreciate you taking your time. And, I mean, just keep up the good work. Keep on being conservatively progressive at, uh, I guess you could say, Keeneland. That's a good I mean, word, yeah. They, yeah, conservatively progressive. Uh so, uh, again, thanks for – Let me get in a
2: plug for, some, for a change that we had. I had it highlighted that we didn't get – Oh, yeah, about please it. do. Uh, Central Bank Ashland is moving to opening day this year. And uh, I had somebody call me the other day. She said, I can't believe I got tickets for Saturday. I want to see the Ashland. I need tickets for Friday. <laughs> so, we, we changed that this year to give the Phillies their own day, kind of like the Kentucky Derby does with Oaks Day. So, uh, Central Bank Ashland, the grade one, is going to be opening day. Uh, there's some Phillies already committed. Happy Soul for Wesley, who won the Dixie Bell Stakes. And uh, Doug O'Neill shipping in Awake at Midnight and Nest for Pletcher. So I think it's going to be a really good race.
1: And hmm. then the
2: Bluegrass the next day, of course, Smile Happy is going to uh, headline that. And then uh, Brissette scratched out Black Adder out of the uh, uh, Jeff Ruby right. last weekend because 12 hole, I guess. And he's going to run there along with Ethereal ethereal Road and Grantham and Volcanic. So I think it's going to be a great weekend of racing, but I want to make sure everybody knows Central Bank Ashland is going to be Friday instead of Saturday.
3: Well, I appreciate that. We we may have touched on that earlier, but we did touch on the Ashland uh, earlier in our uh, opening because uh, no matter how many times they run the Ashland, I'm not going to pick the winner because that's, that race, year in, year out, is is a head scratcher. Yeah. So if you've got any advice on that, please share it before we uh, part ways.
2: <laughs> yeah, I I really don't. I mean, Wesley's horse is going to be the favorite, but uh, it, it's usually wide open. I I don't think we're going to have a big field this time. I think they're looking probably eight in the Ashland. Um, but uh, you can always get surprises prizes. Kenny McPeak's got a filly in their two cocktail moments. Oh, yeah.
3: So, I remember that uh, debut for her.
2: Yeah, she ran the Devona Dale. But she ran third last time out so uh it's gonna be a great weekend it's gonna be cold but uh that's good for the horses i guess they'll they'll like it
3: mm-hmm. we'll stay warm. warm all right you stay warm jim and thank you for uh thank you for joining us and uh again thank you for all that you and everybody else at keelan does for all of us because we look forward to it every year every fall every spring so thanks again
2: you're very welcome thanks for having me
0: you know i love keeneland that's probably been a, a backdrop to my life here the last 20-25 <laughs> years uh, i I, uh, when i was in college at uk i actually worked part-time but well, now i wouldn't even call it part-time i did it for free I, mean, I didn't get paid but i would hot walk horses for kevin's ice back in the day and there was a guy there that uh, a groom that worked for kevin his name was richard i've got a feeling he's probably not with us anymore but uh this guy he would every morning he'd drink a coors light and a sleeve of saltine crackers that was his breakfast every single morning
3: sounds like some of the people i hung when I was a kid you know I, yeah i know what you mean
0: uh, but uh yeah that, that's uh that was a fun time i got a lot of memories of keeneland uh, a lot of good horses come through and, uh, a lot of cash tickets and it's yeah i can't wait uh, for friday this is going to be a be a fantastic meet It's going to be a little cool but uh surely Sure, there's some warm weather right around the corner.
3: Well, you know, it sounds like Jim. You know, Jim Goodman's been there uh, forever. He's seen a lot of those places, and I mean, we can't say enough about Jim. Uh, he was a font of knowledge of everything, wasn't he? I mean, he's he has his hands in everything, Keeneland. Uh, you can tell he loves his job, and you can and it passes it on to everybody who comes into the place, right?
1: Yeah, very connected to every department, very influential, and like you said. Uh, Cautiously progressive, is that what you said?
3: Uh, because cons- uh, Keeneland is conservatively, conservatively progressive.
1: Is that yeah, thing there true? you go.
3: Good way to put it. A little bit of old, a little bit of the new, and they're always managing to, to to keep up with the times or whatever. And uh, you know, it's it's kind of again, it's a right of passage here in the state, uh, especially at springtime. You know, don't don't get me wrong. I mean, we all know my love for turfway. But Keeneland's its own different animal. And so for the first couple I think the first couple of weeks the Keeneland meet's always special. Now, personally, it usually tails off at the end of the meet for me. I don't pay as much attention at the end of the meet. That's only because I live in Louisville and Derby starts to really take focus and stuff. But that first week at Keeneland is as good as racing as you're
1: gonna see. Yeah, I, I agree. I get excited about this time of year every year. Yeah. And yeah. and usually it falls off after Derby. I'm not <laughs> very connected to Preakness at all. I like the Belmont. But then you kind of go into the the later summer with Saratoga and some other places. But these these next two months of Churchill and, and Keeneland are just they're fantastic, and the weather in Kentucky usually is perfect. And let's hope it doesn't. Usually, usually.
0: usually. <laughs> All right, guys, let's wrap it up. Uh, just one more sleep until episode 100. I know you guys uh will we'll, uh are excited about this, and and, and we got a couple of good.
3: A couple of good guests lined up, too. A couple of fan favorites of people we really like. And we're going to do two pods this week. Oh, boy.
0: Right. Right. That means more midnight oil for me.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry.
0: All right. On behalf of Alan Schneider and Brandon Jaggers, and thanks to our guest, Jim Goodman, this is CC us. reminding you that gambling money ain't got no home.